Hello from Cyberry and Delinea, and welcome to the show. If you've been enjoying the Cyberry podcast or 401 Access Denied, then make sure to like, follow, and subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. We'd love to hear from you. Join the discussion by leaving us a comment or review on your platform of choice or emailing us at podcast at cyberry.it. From all of us at Cyberry and Delinea, thank you and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the 401 Access Denied podcast. I'm the host for the episode, Joseph Carson, Chief Security Scientist and Advisory CISO at Delinea. And I'm really excited to have today's episode. And today is a very, very important topic. But before I get started, I want to basically welcome an amazing guest uh, onto the show. First time on the, on the episode, first time on the podcast. Uh, so welcome, Christian. Um, it's great to have you here, and I'm really interested by today's uh, conversation. Can you give the audience a little bit about you know, who you are, what you do, and uh, some fun things that you get up to? Thank you, Joe. Thanks for having me. So I'm Christian Follini. I'm Swiss. I'm a security engineer. Actually, I have a background in medieval history. And somehow I went from medieval history into uh, the IT security industry. I'm a web application uh, firewall specialist. I'm a co-lead of the OWASP Mod Security Coral Set project, where we try to protect web servers from, from online attacks. But I also did a lot of work on system engineering for online voting in Switzerland. And I moderated a government dialogue with scientists around continuing problem with electronic voting and how Switzerland could address that on a five or 10 year horizon. So I have a fairly broad uh, area of topics I'm working on. And it's, I got to know Joe last year <laughs> at a Swiss Cyberstorm conference that I'm co-hosting and organizing. And that's how we entered the conversation. I'm very happy to be on your podcast. Fantastic. It's a welcome. And, you know, the medieval is always important uh, background, especially for security, because there's a lot of segues and a lot of relations in there. And absolutely, I mean, for, for the audience, you know, I, I did uh, go and speak at the Cyber Swiss Storm Conference, and it was fantastic. Um, it's one of the best conferences that I, you know, I attend lots of conferences around the world for, you know, the audience might know, you know, I, I get to travel quite a bit. Um, but definitely, you know, in, in, in my last year, it was one of the definitely the prime prime conference of the year and, and really great hospitality, great location. Uh, so if you were to get the opportunity, if you are in the area, I definitely recommend reaching out to Christian and making sure to get more details about the conference. Um, so but Thank today's you. topic, today's topic is all about trust. And that's really the foundation of what systems and IT and security is built on. It's really the foundation, you know. We, we hear a lot about zero trust. <laughs> we hear a lot about the principle of least privilege. We hear about, you know, uh, you know, dynamic trust and building trust and security. Trust is really one of those big foundations. And you know, one of the things you mentioned around um, that you've been working on is the uh, voting systems. And I think, you know, that's, you know, if we're talking about trust. That's one of the biggest systems where trust, you know, it, it has to be vital. It has to be non-repeatable. You know, it has to be something that, you know, it's not something that you just assume or, or just, you know, accept. It has to be earned. And I think that's one of the fun, fundamentals here is trust fundamentally, you know, it has to be earned. Can you give me some of the, you know, things that you've seen around, you know, voting systems or systems that, you know, trust is very valuable and, and very, you know, important uh, elements when it gets into security? 
Yes, um, for those of the listeners who are not familiar with the Swiss online voting system, we have been doing tests with online voting for like 20 years now, and we still don't have a running online voting system. In fact, 2019, uh, we hit headlines with a kind of a disaster. The system was meant to be done, ready for introduction, and final step was publishing the source code and opening up for a public bug bounty mm-hmm. program. And the hackers ripped it apart within weeks and they had to stop the program. It was a huge catastrophe, no more trust in that system at all. And then the year afterwards, in 2020, government run a big dialogue mm-hmm. with uh, scientists around the question, what is the problem? And there was a lot of around cryptography. That was really mm-hmm. the focus. This, this is how they ripped it apart. Just the algorithms and the, namely mm-hmm. the implementation didn't work at all. So too much trust in bad software. And one of the results of the dialogue was uh, we lack trust in this system. Mm-hmm. Our population lacks trust in that system. And how can we build trust mm-hmm. and how can we gain or earn trust for that system? I mean, apparently, we need to fix the bugs. We need uh, <laughs> to be more transparent with the development and so on. But it's absolutely an open question how they can make the population trust that system and how can mm-hmm. we introduce this midterm, long term without undermining the trust in our political system. I mean, Switzerland is a very old democracy, so this is mm-hmm. this is really valuable and people feel this is really important. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, find, you find quite a lot of people think, yeah, we just need online voting. Somebody got to take care of it. Absolutely. But there is a lot of bad feeling of people around, ah, mm, mm. maybe not, or let's wait, or this is never going to be good enough. And these questions are very hard to tackle. So there might be future discussions around trust, and we don't mm-hmm. know how to really earn trust. And it's it's a it's a you know one of the things I've found you know being being based in Estonia myself, and you know the whole society here has been built around a digital society. It started off with a paperless path and turned into digital services and digital society and government being a service provider to the citizens. The voting system, having the voting system being one of those first systems to build trust on, is a, is definitely probably not the best one to start with. You want to probably start, you know, sometimes smaller, um, or sometimes yeah. things that um, you can start earning that trust at the beginning, and those foundations, you know, can segue off into the identity side and, and voting systems. Um, I know in Estonia, one of the first systems they did here was the tax one. Um, that was the first system they actually built um, to enable you to do online taxes and do it very efficiently uh, because it was one of the bigger pain points. It was one of the bigger challenges yeah. for the citizens. So they started with the one that the citizens had the most pain around and were willing enough <laughs> in order to actually go in and use that system because they didn't want to go and you know fill in paper forms and spend days in queues and, and have to you know go through audits. So they decided here to go through a much more, uh, one that was a bigger pain point. And then later, you know, add you know, internet voting to it at a later yes. stage. To do the internet voting as the first one is, is probably, you know, um, definitely you want to build trust and run it. But to your point as well is to 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 give it to pen testing and bug bounty towards the later stages <laughs> in this cycle is probably, you want to, you know, we talk about security by design and security by, by default yeah. sometimes. 
and you want you know security to be built into the design process. And, that, and that's one of the big things of OWASP. OWASP is about you know shifting left and, and moving security into the development process. Uh, absolutely. Um, you know to do that. I remember at a, much later stage. a lot of conversation. <laughs> I remember a lot of conversations around this. Look, you guys, you need to open this up as soon as possible, as long as you're not in the headlines. Yes. Because the, when once you are near the finishing line, everybody will look at you, and there's that sure gonna be weaknesses, mm-hmm. and you want to have them early on so you have time to fix them. Yeah. And Absolutely. I mean, uh, they heard they learned it the hard way. What I like is they really learned it, and the way the system is built now is they they roll out the red carpet for hackers right now. That's that's but the best way. It's, they it's, had it's, to learn this the hard because, way <laughs> because that's where you build the trust. Is is you know yeah. making it open, making it available, getting people's views and opinions. Um, that's where you start building the trust. You know, and 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 and, and as I mentioned, the foundation people have. Uh, that's in any election systems, whether it being paper based, machine based, or internet based. Trust is the foundation of it. You know, you have to have some type of trust, and that's where when people have trust in the voting system. No matter what the system or process is, whether it being you know computer-based, like you know internet voting, whether it being you go to a booth and you hit a button on a machine, or you still fill in the paper form, um, you know it's it's trust in the system, it's trust in the transparency, it's yeah. you know and 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 that's where people you know have confidence in, um, and it's also you know, making sure that the government is providing transparency around it as well. I think that's what's key, and that's what you know what's really important to build the building the trust and 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 have have broader people being able to look at it, and you know actually raise the concerns of certain areas so you can learn those lessons. And I think it's really important. You know, you keep moving forward. Um, I've seen you know many you know going back. You know, let's go to the paper. Thing. You know, let's go back to paper. Um, but you know, it, it's it still has it has problems as well. And what I like is the more choices you have. The more choices you have, you know, I, I, I like, you know, that when you have choices, each of them provides some type of integrity or oversight of each other. And that's also important as well, is that you've no, uh, you know, you're not putting all your eggs in one basket. You don't have one single, you know, uh, uh, point of failure. And one of the lessons here in Estonia, uh, what was great was, is that, and it was actually, it was only highlighted during COVID when we had, you know, people having, you know, not being able to to leave homes and we were restricted in, in, uh, from, from, from going in public or getting within two meters. Um, and then it came the voting season. It was, we had a vote election in the middle of COVID. And yeah. the last thing you want people to be doing is going and standing in lines. When, in <laughs> the if, winter, if, in small in, spaces. In small yeah. spaces, two meters apart. Yeah. If, if we had to have people putting in, in lines two meters apart, the, the, the line would have been all around Estonia. It would have circled <laughs> the entire country uh, to get that proper distance. Um, so really getting get into one of the things, the big highlight was that having those different choices meant that people could vote uh, from a safe location. It was actually good for their health. It was actually something that you know, put them out of harm's way. And it meant that the, the elections could still go ahead. So having those multiple choices is always a great way. There still is the mail-in vote if you wish to do it. There still is the yeah. electronic vote if you wish to do it. Uh, but they provide oversight of each other. Yeah. Uh, so. um, in our system, we have a long tradition of mail-in voting. Like 90, 95% of Swiss voters use mail-in <laughs> ballots. And that is also why online voting was started very early on, because from a 
process viewpoint, you just replace the mail-in ballot with an electronic ballot. Yep. That seems simple enough. But of course, people had a very simplified view of security 20 years ago, and namely about <laughs> online security. So we learned our industry and Switzerland learned a lot about online security along the way. There was there were initially there were multiple Swiss system and one system they rebuilt three times from scratch. And always huge, huge improvements. Unfortunately, in the end they ran out of money and had to give up. But that was a beautiful system. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you look at uh, if you you know, let's look at some examples in the recent history. If you you know, you you're then putting your trust in the postal service for mail-in voting. You, you, you're Absolutely. having to trust the postal service. If you look back, you know, the Royal Mail recently in the UK um, had a major ransomware outage. And if, yeah. if that was in the middle of, a, you know, that was in the middle of, of Christmas, <laughs> which, which meant <laughs> that packages, I think my Christmas card arrive, from, yeah. from my family didn't arrive until, you know, <laughs> late January. Um, so if you're putting your trust in the, you, know, you have to have trust in the postal service then. And you have to trust that that service is going to work, and that your you know your vote's going to get counted. It's going to make you know, and Absolutely. that's the, that's the difference is that you know in a postal mail-in or you know even electronic voting, uh, you want to be able to know that your count actually <laughs> counted. It was actually participated in the election as well, exactly. and that's one of the advantages of internet voting as well is that yeah. you can definitely have an auditability. There's a transparency uh, here in Estonia. Yes. You can actually log on and see yeah. your your transactions. Yeah, and the, the the more we're using or developing the electronic voting system, the more we realize all the weaknesses of the mail-in ballots. <laughs> that system, and of course, the whole postal system, is optimized for for money to be cheap, yep, and not reliability or the auditability. I mean, you, you drop your letter in a mailbox and you expect it to be counted, but there is no guarantee around that. So, uh, and I, as you said, multiple channels start mm-hmm. to protect each other. Correct. Because an attacker ultimately would have to attack the on-site voting, the mail-in ballots, and the electronic ones. The statistical methods are not here yet, namely the research is not here yet. But once we have done that, we can compare the results of the different channels and say, yeah, this makes sense makes sense or there is something very odd in that region of the country mm-hmm. with those ballots and i think right. that's really a strength of having multiple channels ultimately and, and if we look at if we look at where the attacks have been happening in in for example you know, you know focus on the voting side it's actually trying to get the person to you know it's hacking their 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 choice you're hacking the person who's making the decision so most most of the voting the uh, resources that goes into hacking elections is actually in basically uh, information wars. It's in Absolutely. basically social media. That's where yeah. it's happening. You know, I, I would find honestly very seldomly would you find it after the the vote has been cast, whether it being mail in, whether it being electronic or internet. I would find that very seldom would those systems be compromised because there's the validation checks and auditability in place. To, yeah, to there's go a lot of security and... preventing Correct. attacks there. Wireless social media is an open field. Correct. Let's do whatever and, you want, and it's getting the it's getting the person you know it's it's hacking that person's decision. <laughs> it's yeah. getting them to to you know whether it being uh, you know providing fud on different politicians and different people. That's ultimately where, where the attacks are happening. It's in the social media side. Uh, one of the great things that you know we had a conversation before we started 
uh, recording was around, you know, what I really like in Estonia, I saw, you know, the great ability here is that uh, the election opens typically, you know, 10 days or so before the vote uh, gets closed. But you can also change your decision uh, multiple times. And I think that's great. And it's actually here in Estonia, just one of the things that we're in an election time here in Estonia. And you're seeing, you know, people, what, what I think is fantastic is I've been seeing people from all around, you know, Estonians from all around the world showing where they're voting from. You know, people voting on vacation in Spain, they're voting in the <laughs> middle of the night in Japan. Um, even the prime minister was showing, you know, that she was voting um, from a cafe. Um, and, and showing that, you know, the ability to vote anytime at any point in, day, in the day um, at any, you know, any location is great because it actually increases the ability for people who, you know, may not have the option of voting. Maybe they work night shifts. Maybe they're taking care of people uh, in remote locations. Maybe they are, you know, accessible um, and they can't get to certain locations. Um, or they're just simply away. They're, tra they're traveling at the time. Um, that used to be always my problem was, you know, okay. traveling. <laughs> Um, yeah. But also what's happening now is that, you know, people are starting to see the news about maybe the direction elections going and people are thinking, hmm, maybe my choice was not the right choice. <laughs> and now okay. they have the ability to go back in and right. make a change. So would, this is also means, yeah, so it means that the, the media um, are unable to predict the outcome because of that as well. Because you get a lot of people who are just the followers. You get a lot of people who just say, yeah, I'm going to go yeah. with it. I'm going to go with the flow. And I'm just going to yeah. follow, you know, you know, if yeah. it was the U.S., the blue or the, the red, um, you know, or whichever party you're affiliated with. Um, so it means the media can't really kind of push the direction uh, from their, their news, All right. which I also think is a great point as well. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, the Swiss political system, especially in the sense we're a semi-direct democracy. So we mm -hmm. vote like four times a year. A lot of uh, yes, no votes. And then <laughs> actually this year in autumn, we're going to have parliament elections mm -hmm. as well. And they want to reintroduce electronic voting for a test population okay. in a couple of regions. So so we're counting the days whether they manage to present the system for the national votes. But as you mentioned, changing your vote, uh, once you see how the, how the, the results are going, uh, that is absolutely taboo in Switzerland. You're not allowed to publish polls four or six weeks ahead of a, of a vote. Uh, so, we, <laughs> I mean, we do this four times a year, so we're always in voting mode. So once mm -hmm. one vote is over, the next one starts. The next uh, public vote is starting on whatever the question is. And like two months ahead of the vote, you get the final polls. Mm -hmm. And then afterwards, it's blind. You need to, is it good enough? Will we win? How much advertisement do we need to run? But there are no more polls mm -hmm. and definitely no exit polls. It doesn't doesn't okay. exist in Switzerland. So, so one of the questions I've got around that is that um, you know, if, if you're voting multiple times a year, how much time is spent on voting? <laughs> and and, oh, and this is such a streamlined process. I mean, okay. if I do mail-in balance like most Swiss people, it's two minutes and stamp off you go. Okay. Problem so, so that so we have a, now. There's not a lot of waste. <laughs> yeah, a lot, a lot of young people, they don't have stamps anymore. And so you have municipalities where they have pre-stamp your mm -hmm. envelope and they have a higher uh, percentage of people voting uh, okay. compared to those where you have to uh, 
add the stamp yourself. So there's a cost. There's Obviously. a cost to the person voting. Yeah, it's means. actually it's two or three percent uh, of more voters when you pay the post stamp. It sounds uh, like the, while the, the test runs with an electronic right. voting, no change in the voter share. That is not like, influencing the voter like share. The but having a stamp really is something. <laughs> funding the postal service. <laughs> yes, and actually the electronic voting system that we're introducing, or the one that is still around, is the Swiss Post. And they went like, <laughs> if somebody's cannibalizing our mail-in ballots, it's us. Because that's, so, this is a growing share of our revenue, because letters mm -hmm. are going down. Yeah. Uh, so we want to make sure nobody else is stealing that the voting revenue, channel. The revenue so has to be <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And they, and they invested so much resources into that to make clear for the, for the market. Nobody is allowed to enter the electronic voting market if it's not Swiss Post anymore. Yeah. Sounds, I mean, for me, it sounds like, you know, one, one of the things, you know, definitely is the Swiss Post should actually take think of being the you know one of the identity providers you know you know not not just think about getting into just you know trying to monopolize the voting side yeah. um, but actually becoming an identity provider um, uh, you know, they, that's definitely on the menu uh, we yeah. had a public vote on the last proposal where mm -hmm. where private companies or semi private companies like Swiss Post could play a, a key role and mm -hmm. we said no Okay. So this is back to government. The identity provider will be closer to government. But okay. Swiss Post definitely realized that and digital trust is one of their focus goals as an mm -hmm. enterprise okay. uh, where they want to develop. You can, still, you can still separate it. You can still have the government being the trust anchor. They can be the verifier, uh, but the issuer can still be done in other entities. You know, they could be the one yeah. to deliver or to provide the service. Um, you know, it, I think that's what the, the big difference is, is that where's the trust maintained? Because um, one of the things, one of the things in Estonia that the way, the way that Estonia makes sure, you know, over the, over the many years of the digital society, the way yes. that they've done around the trust is that the government removes their ability to change history. And that's one of the foundations of trust that it's built on. Um, yeah. And the ability for the government to remove their their ability to change history, it's actually done in a quite an interesting way. Is that yeah, ultimately, that. you know, they sign everything, all the security, all the transactions get signed with a PKI, and that transaction happens, you know, periodically. Um, ultimately, though, you end up having, you know, it's it's done on the blockchain, so you end up having a root hash, and that root hash um, every month gets published in the Financial Times newspaper, and what that means is is that the government effectively <laughs> in a printed media <laughs> which <laughs> means that 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 root hash is printed you know across 190 countries and millions of copies that Crazy. it means that the government themselves by doing that one action by printing that root hash that means that the citizens have auditability of the government and the government no longer have the ability to change history and i think that's the fact the part is is where your root of trust is maintained and yeah. how, how that root of trust is established and you know, and showing that the government themselves, yeah. I, I think it's 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 a very intelligent way of of you know showing the citizens that even you yourself, after a certain amount of time has passed, that you cannot change history. Um, yeah. History becomes absolute, um, and and in security that that history and audit logs and log files that it's it's something that we you know value of importance, um, and you know, and a government should also value that as well. I mean, you know, from a history perspective of when things have passed. So for me, I think, you know, when you're talking about, you know, 
whether the Postal Service should be the trust anchor. I don't think the Postal Service should be the trust anchor. Definitely government is, is much better positioned to be the trust anchor. Um, but they could be a provider, a service provider. Just like today in security, we have different identity service providers for authentication. Um, the question always comes down to is, is how do you establish the trust anchor in those? You know, how, do, how is trust maintained? And I think that becomes a big, big important part of it. Yeah, I totally see that. And I'm sure Swiss Post is right there if somebody <laughs> has to have that role. I mean, they're so into that topic. And as it happens, Swiss Post is the Swiss enterprise where the citizens have the biggest trust into it. It's the private enterprise with the biggest trust among the population. And, and that, so it's a perfect fit for that role. I think that's that's ideal. And you, you always have to look. And there, there might be multiple. You know, um, yeah. uh, you might see, you know, the driver's license authority is another typical one that issues identity. Yeah. Um, the passport authority is another one that issues identity. Mm-hmm. Um, so they can all be some type of identity issuers. And this is one of the things that I've seen, even as we move forward, that we're starting to see, even across the EU, uh, and the digital wallet being a very important part of this, uh, that we're starting to see the digital wallet. You know, In the future, that brings the questions into the future of, of you know hard copy-based identities. Um, where your phone simply becomes a, a digital wallet extension well, of those, yeah, a token um, of your identity, and yeah. becomes also you know transparent across um, where, that, where that data can be. Uh, let's say, I, I wouldn't say the data being shared, but the uh, being able to validate questions should be shared, such as I can you know go back and say you know am I allowed to drive in Switzerland? And Switzerland can rather than me showing my driver's license, they can just ask the authority back in Estonia, is this person having valid driver's license? And the actually answer comes back as yes, it's valid. That's yeah, all typically you need to know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but I think it's it's great that seeing what's, so what's, what's some of the blocking issues? Where do you see, you know, the challenges going forward? Okay, with the disaster, and it was literally a disaster in 2019, the regulation was redone to really limit the test runs of electronic voting. And I don't see this introduced far and wide in the next five or 10 years. So if they manage to finish the system in time and run it in the 2023 national elections, then mm-hmm. I expect to have a slow expansion. Okay. And trust is really the limiting factor. As we have seen in the US elections, you don't need an actual fraud. You don't need an actual weakness in an electronic system. It's good enough if enough people, important people, say and state it has been a fraud, people will follow. And there is nothing to, to prove the absence of a problem if there was no problem. I mean, people don't trust you. And for a society, this is a huge problem. And for me, this is the strongest argument against the introduction of online voting. Absolutely. I, I personally think that trust is maybe a function of time. So if we have a very slow rollout, then our society and political system will get used to this system. We're going to have weaknesses, we're going to have problems, and each of these problems are a test for society whether we're able to handle that problem. And maybe after five or 10 years, people will get used to it and the next idiot who stands up and say it's been a fraud and the election has been mm-hmm. stolen, the other parties will say, hold on, you present us the proof or we don't believe you. This is bullshit. Yeah. The great so, but thing that will here... take time to get into yeah. such a situation. 
the great thing here is the citizens can actually go and verify it themselves. It they, they, takes a lot of know-how audibility. To do so. Yes, the auditability, yeah. it's the transparency and auditability, which is key. Um, yes. You know, and that's where, you know, in the, in the U.S., you typically have the balance of powers. You've got Congress, you've got, you know, the, 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 the government um, and, and the White House. You've got, you know, they're meant to, the, the, the justice and Congress and the White House are meant to sure. oversee and have that balance of powers between each other. So they're meant to provide oversight of each other. And that's where people have trust in the system. So they don't have to worry about how it operates in their daily lives. They can just get yes. on with it and let the oversight um, of that happen. Um, but when you question oversight and the oversight starts to have, you know, fragiles and cracks in it, uh, that's where the trust starts to deteriorate. But absolutely, as you're right, trust has to be earned over time. And sometimes even just starting with smaller elections, maybe, maybe ones that's absolutely. not so important. And test runs, <laughs> limited audience, that certainly right. helps. How, how does that work in Estonia? A problem that we're seeing is, there is a relatively small part of the industry who's interested to learn how to verify this, how to audit this properly. And the, the average citizen has no chance whatsoever to understand the mathematical proofs. But even inside the security industry, there are relatively few people who take the time, sit down and read through the myriads of documents that have been published in the meantime to have a qualified opinion on the quality of this. Where I see now, and uh, for whatever reasons and Swiss discussions, government is really strong. They have a lot of people now, next federal province level, the canton level in Switzerland. They've learned so much in the process. Then a couple of companies around, they have been running audits, uh, config reviews, documentation reviews. But then wider audience, wider security industry, no participation in discussions. Meaning... If we have a problem, we have very few neutral third parties who have a qualified opinion, who have the knowledge to really participate in the discussion and say, yes, what government says makes sense, this is good enough. And journalists will just struggle to find anybody able to comment on a publication. Yeah, I think, I think that the deciding factor here in Estonia was 2007, when Estonia mm -hmm. became the, the, the victim of a mass-scale cyber attack. Yes. And what that was, was the turning point. And it was one is that we identified one is, is how well the systems performed, but also we yes. found the areas of weaknesses. Yes. And this was the fundamental defining point. And that's where the government definitely invested and shifted a lot more working with industry more closely. That was a time where industry and government came together to defend the country. And that cooperation between right. industry and government continued and developed post that event. And that's where the strength and you know of that cybersecurity uh, society and cooperation uh, was was built around. Um, so sometimes it took an event uh, to realize one is that our systems are performing quite well, but here's areas that didn't do so well. And how do we address those? How do we improve it? How do we become resilient? And even to the point where you know 2007 that identified one of the things uh, during the the talk that I give in Switzerland it was around that all the data was located in Estonia. Uh, if there was a land invasion, the threat and risk of that data being destroyed was high. So therefore, how do you de-risk that? And that basically created the, the development and introduction of the data embassy. So again, you know, identifying those weaknesses, but it did take that event, uh, that situation to highlight it and to, to bring it to the surface where we hadn't thought about those scenarios before. Um, but it was also, you know, that was the defining, that turn point brought industry and government to much more closer working relationship. 
And I think, you know, sometimes it takes an event, but sometimes it also takes a, a very proactive government um, that sees the importance, you know, of industry cooperation um, and, and opens the doors and provides facilitation of it as well. That's what's important. Got you. So, so you would say there is definitely a feeling in the industry that we have a joint project here to protect our society from external attacks and we need to investigate and give resources and be interested in this, what is happening. Because this is something I rarely see in Switzerland. This is, this is something government is doing and we couldn't care less because it's so yeah. complicated. Sometimes it's the, also how you do the message. It's not, you have to make sure one is, it's not about the, the important part here is not about security is not the priority. It's mm -hmm. about maintaining uh, uh, the services to the citizens. That's, yes. that's, it's how you, how you message it is key because the citizens, many citizens don't really care about security in, 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 in the government side. They just concern about that the service they're getting is actually working and they trust them. Sure, um, sure. And yeah. this is what it can. So it's about making sure when you do message it, you know, but that cooperation between industry and government, it, it does have a, a very strong pillar of security uh, and trust. But when you message it to citizens, it is all about maintaining resiliency of the services that you're providing to the citizens. Yes, yes. Got this. So that's what's key. Nice. So that's, I, I think this has been intriguing and very exciting conversation. Like I could go on on this topic for hours. Um, yes. any, any, anything, you know, for, for the audience that's been listening in, any lessons that you've learned that you would suggest or, you know, to, to other countries and, you know, that might be listening in or other, uh, people that might be involved in the trust of systems, um, any lessons that you would suggest, you know, that they would take away, um, you know, that, that would be important, uh, that they can, you know, you know, act upon, um, urgently. Okay. If, if anybody in the audience is really into online voting, Then this uh, government dialogue was published in 2020 with a very readable report where you have all the open questions on a global level around online voting. All the scholarly open questions and the problems that are not being addressed, research questions that are now being handled the next few down the road. I think that is a very good uh, snapshot of online voting on a global level with Swiss Perspective 2020. It's really worth worth a read. Fantastic. Well, definitely, if, uh, Christian, if you can give me the link to that, I can definitely I can make sure that... I can the publish it yeah. with the podcast. Fantastic. That's exactly what, you know, you know giving the audience the resources directly um, in the show notes uh, makes it much easier for them. Absolutely. You know, any lessons learned from previous experiences, I think is so valuable um, into, you know, what questions get raised. And I think, you know, probably around the, the bug bounties and, and the feedback and the lessons would be greatly valuable for anyone who's, who's looking at this. Because I know, you know, while Estonia has been, you know, forefront and other countries are looking, you know, such as Switzerland and uh, other countries around the world. And I know even in the US, many states are looking at this as well, you know, to, to provide better service to their citizens. So anyone in the audience, you know, if, if this is a path you're going down, we'll definitely make sure that you get the resources and definitely the valuable information to make sure that you're, you don't repeat the same mistakes or the same lessons <laughs> again, because um, it's not very productive use of our time. Uh, so definitely learn from Absolutely. others um, is, is valuable and important. Christian, it's been fantastic having you on the show today. Uh, really looking Thank forward to the much. next time that we can catch up. Uh, we'll definitely make sure that, you know, we'll, we'll provide ways uh, for the audience if they have questions for you, um, that we'll make sure that they have uh, access to, to what's the best way to contact you. Um, but again, Christian, it's been fantastic. And thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. It was good fun. 
absolutely. So for the audience, this is the 401 Access Tonight podcast, bringing you thought leadership, exciting hot topics and trends. Um, hopefully this has been a valuable episode for you. Stay tuned. To, uh, go back and listen to previous episodes. Um, every two weeks, uh, we come up with a new show. Uh, stay safe, take care, and to the next time, thank you. Learn how your team can get a free trial of Cybrary for Business by going to www.cybrary.it slash business. This podcast is also brought to you by Delinea. Dicotic and Centrify are now Delinea, the leader in privileged access management. To learn more, visit delinea.com.